On today's episode of September Guest Call-Ups, we spoke to Ryan Rucco. It's his third time coming on the show. He is a favorite of ours, young guy, around our age, just living the dream. So, had Ryan on. Um, I don't know. He's always great. We talked about, what did we talk about, Jake? We talked about uh, what he's up to these days, any more series. Talked to- Stealing food from our pantry. Yeah, what, uh, what the team was like after that Boston four-game sweep. And kind of just uh, fanhood in general. A lot of fun stuff. Shout out, shout out to the '98 team a little bit. Some of that, some of that talk. But yeah, awesome as usual. Yeah. So we'll just cut right to that. Thanks for tuning in. Oh, also this episode is brought to you by AffordableJerseys.com. Go to AffordableJerseys.com. Buy all your jerseys. No name on the back. Yankee jerseys. Home, away, shipped to you from a manufacturer in Pennsylvania. AffordableJerseys.com. Go get them after you listen to this interview and chat. Not really an interview, kind of just like a chat with Ryan Rucco. Enjoy. All right, we are joined again by Ryan Rucco, who made time out of his busy schedule to come on Talking Yanks for the third time. He's our favorite guest. How you doing, Ryan? I'm doing good. Like, is it is it at the point where when you say, like, oh, we have him on again, it's like, shit, this guy's coming over again? Or is it like... Is it like, oh, yeah, no, no, like, we, we love it when Ryan comes over. Like, am I raiding your cabinets, or am I helping, like, clear out your leftovers? No, you're welcome to anything you want in the cabinets. Oh, Doors okay, open. Good. All right. All <laughs> right, great. Well, well, thank you guys for having me, man. I, uh, I, I enjoyed uh, being on previously, and I'm excited to be on again. So what are you up to right now? You're out in L.A., WNBA is getting started. Yeah, not L.A. I'm in Seattle, actually. Oh. Um, so out, out west, but I'm in Seattle um, because – we have WNBA playoffs right now, um, and I am broadcasting the Seattle Storm versus the Phoenix Mercury, their series. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so I'm out here. And, and if the Storm advanced to the finals, uh, which they won game one um, of this best of five, then I would actually be in Seattle at the same time that the Yankees are, uh, which would be cool and would help CC and I with R2C2. Um, so, uh, so we'll see if it transpires. Seattle is the number one overall seed, but for now I'm, I'm near Pike place, uh, just overlooking the ocean and it's a beautiful day, man. The clouds have gone away. The sun is out. It's a, it's a beautiful day for baseball. There you go. So if, if that all happens, I know you've probably thought ahead of this. Do you have a, a Seattle guest that you'd, uh, your first call would be Cano or some Yankee connection for CC? We have a few different ones. Yeah. We have a few different, uh, a few different possibilities out here. Also something to keep in mind is like when we're on the road together, it's a little easier for us to also do some of the Yankees that we want to do. Right. Like for example, when we did Booney, um, which has been our most downloaded episode to date, uh, we did that in Cleveland. You know, it's just like sometimes there's something about being bunkered up on the road that makes it a little easier to, uh, you know, to get people. So, um, you know, we're uh, we're going to do Stanton sometime uh, in the near future. Maybe that'll transpire in Seattle. We shall see. That'd be a good one. I mean, Booney yeah. was Booney was awesome. Ken Singleton, Thanks, Ken Singleton told a story that uh, Jake. I don't know if you heard it. I know you listened too, but yeah. yeah, Ken Singleton told a story. And for those that listen to Talking Yanks and and haven't listened to R two C two yet, one, you're idiots. Two, Kenny <laughs> <laughs> Kenny Singleton told a story about a player that hit him, he started a brawl, then got traded to the Orioles, and Kenny Singleton gave him the cold shoulder and 
and and the guy tried to say, hey, are we good now? And Kenny Singleton said, no, we're not good. I don't like you, and I don't think you're good enough to be in this league. I was like, whoa, damn, Kenny. <laughs> what is it that? Yo, you didn't know Ken had that gangster in him, right? Like, <laughs> he, <laughs> it was, I know, man. I When he told that story, I was like, that is great. Like how basically – they avoided each other for however long, and then finally they're crossing paths one day in the hallway. Like, yeah, no, I don't think you're good enough to be in this league. Whoa, all right, <laughs> man. Like, yeah, that was that was. I'm glad you liked that story, man. I loved it too. Kenny is such a great storyteller, as you know. So, dude, he when he starts going off, like me and Cece were texting about it after the first time, and we were just like. Yeah, we could really sit here and listen to him forever. Like, we really could. Like, because once Kenny gets going, he's just got an unlimited memory of these incredible stories. Kenny was killing it. He, I was just raving to Jimmy because at Players Weekend, he was doing the play-by-play. He killed that, too, and he's just uh, – everything's professional, but it also feels like – he he brings that cool Kenny Singleton, and he he you he also we saw that like tough guy pass a little bit from him on your guys' podcast, but Kenny Kenny's the man, and yeah, hearing you guys talk to him that was awesome. Right, exactly. Like you know, he Ken is. I mean, you got to remember, Ken was one of the best hitters in the league for a decade, right? And so he he has a lot of that like swag still in there, even though he's this ridiculously kind engaging attentive man he if he's not someone you'd want to piss off you know he is he's he's still got that like fierce competitor in him and you could tell when he gets into stories like that one about uh about the orioles years the other great clip and you know that when i listen to you guys and i hear something i try and go find the clips and match them up because that's just my curiosity um Which I, I love i love I, that you do that i couldn't find this one but booney told a story about his first monday night game and it was a mets game when he was doing broadcast and it, they do the opening and it's like uh whoever it was Vescarian or I don't know who was calling the game, turned to him and it was Boone's turn to speak and he just didn't say a thing. And then, yeah. <laughs> I I tried uh, for a couple hours. Yeah, I tried uh, for a couple hours to find that footage. I couldn't. We really should find that, man, because that story was amazing. That literally nothing came out at all. I was just like, really, dude? <laughs> like, but, but I know I would love to find that, man. It's That story was incredible, like his first game ever on the air. And, and you know, the reason he told that is because I was – and I was glad. I was wondering if you'd remember how me and him first met. Um, and you'll remember, obviously, from listening to the episode. But like I, I was doing. I was scoreboard host at the time at the stadium, and I'm. I would always go in this little room, and I would practice my stand up because you know we don't have a prompter. Um, so everything that like what you see Justin Shacklin, Brian Clark do on the field now, which I used to do, like you're doing from memory. So I used to go and rehearse and I'd, I'd literally I'd hold my hand as if I was holding a microphone I'd go right up against the wall and I would just talk to the wall and all the guys in the scoreboard crew used to always be like yo looks so weird what's he doing man like but this was how I'd rehearse and get in my mode and, and all of a sudden like one day as I'm doing this I see Aaron Boone just kind of like saunter past the open door to my room mouthing something to himself and I'm like huh that's strange. That guy's kind of doing the same thing I do. So I, I, I pop my head outside the, the door and I look and he's just walking up and down the hallway, looking down, repeating things to himself. And so I kind of come out and 
we talked about it for a minute or two and we ended up bonding over it because anytime he was there doing an ESPN game, I would be in the room doing my rehearsal at the same time he was walking by doing his. So we both sort of had the same kind of process to get ready and everybody looked at both of us like we were crazy and we were able to bond over it. (laughs) That reminds me of the scene from Invincible when it's the first game for Vince Papali and Dick Vitale. And they both find themselves in the bathroom, like nervous as hell, just looking at each other, like "oh shit." <laughs> but you guys were you guys were nervous. You're practicing. Yes, exactly. Yes, but it, it, that's an announcer athlete bond you could have. So, what's your schedule like? Do you have any more games for for yes for the rest of the any September series? I don't. I wish I did. Um, I I would have done the Minnesota series, um, but this year. The WNBA playoffs are bumped up because of uh, world championships. So where they normally um, start in like mid-September and ends like the second week of October, this year they're already started. Um, they started in, uh, uh, I guess it's like August 23rd was our first game or something, or 21st. And they, uh, and they end um, September 16th. So anyway, point being, like that's the time of year and the, the people at ESPN and the WNBA are amazingly uh, flexible with me um, and my schedule with Yankees. Um, but playoffs is the time of year where I don't have real flexibility because I have to be there to do you know semifinals and finals and all that. Um, and so it just happens to fall the same time as that Minnesota series. So I unfortunately can't do it. Um, but uh, um, it was good. It was a good run, man. And you never know what comes up. Like some, there could be a random studio day or sideline or something. Something comes up where I'm, uh, I'm used or needed, or, or maybe there's something that comes up in the postseason. But um, as of now, my Yankees uh, dates for yes for the season are done. Uh, although it was definitely – it just keeps getting more fun, but it was the most fun season I've had, most play-by-play I've done. So I was really happy with how everything went. I think you end up with a winning record in the booth, too. You got sweep of the Angels, then one of two in Texas, then two, two of three in Texas, sweep of the White Sox, and a split doubleheader. Am I missing any? I think you have a winning record yes. in the booth. So, wait. I, no, I actually – I ended – I did two Toronto series in a row. Oh, okay. I ended – yeah, I, I think I, I ended on a – I think I ended on a five-game winning streak um, and winning like seven of eight or something like that because I had the sweep of the White Sox. I had the um, – the two out of three against Toronto, two straight against Toronto. Um, so what would that be? That would be seven of eight. Yeah. So seven of eight is how I closed it out. There you I go. Felt good about. I Put mean, it, you know what, dude? It's just like it's so much more fun. Obviously, when they win, you know. Yeah. yeah. Oh so, yeah. Like I always say, people are like, "Oh, like you know, is it hard for you to like, you know, not root or whatever and stuff like that?" It's like, well, no, because. My number one priority is always for it to be a good broadcast first. Like, I care more about it being a good broadcast and me performing well than I do them winning. But number two is like, yeah, I want them to win. I'm going to be more excited when they do things for them winning because that's what my audience is interested in. And, you know, that's what I'm going to reflect, you know. So, like, it's just kind of natural. It's not, you know, it's like professional broadcast first and then excitement over good things happening for the team your audience is rooting for second. You know, it's like, it's, it ends up working out pretty nicely when they're, when they're winning. It, it just is like a natural synergy, and it's so fun. Yep. Well, speaking of fun and winning and all that, one of our questions that I wanted to ask was, 
you the first time you linked up with them was in Anaheim and they swept and then they're in Texas where they're hitting home runs. I think you also did Kansas City where they're hitting home Kansas runs. Kansas City, yeah. Yeah. Um what was the vibe when you connect with the team after the four game sweep in Boston? for the White Sox series. Was it any different? Is it still status quo? Because that was probably the lowest moment of the season for the team, um, or the fan base, at least. I don't know how the players perceived it. it you know what? Uh, it's interesting you ask that question, because I do think a lot of times we perceive how they react to losses as the same. Sometimes it's very different. Like, But in that case, I will say there was definitely a palpable disappointment and energy that you could feel that was similar to the way the fan base felt after that game. Like I remember coming into that Chicago series and it just felt a little bit like everyone was on eggshells a bit and not quite as loose as they normally are. Cause it's a very loose group. Um, and like, you know, they, they, they kind of felt like a team that had just been swept in a huge series. Um, and so it changed instantly once they started winning again. But there was a real urgency to win those games in Chicago. You know, we we kind of forget about it now a little bit because, you know, Chicago's obviously a, been a poor opponent this season, and so you just expect the Yankees to win. But at that time, those guys were feeling um, an urgency to make sure they took care of business in that series after what happened in Boston. And once they did, I think it kind of helped return their their personality. But there was definitely a sense of, like, you know, sort of a morose feeling after what happened in Boston. And normally, I would say the way teams feel after losses, after an individual loss, is sort of imperceptible. But in that case, it was. So it was it was a, a poignant part of the season. And then, and then all they needed was that big Lance Lynn start, which for for us as fans, and again, it goes into perception, and we get to perceive this big uh, machismo from Lance, and it was like, you know, he was – he was being pretty manly out on the mound. So for you to for you to call that, do you get a sense of like when the fans are just yucking it up over performance or a guy's personality or anything like that when you're calling that start when he was just blowing away the White Sox and yeah. adjusting you know, his I cup mean, after every pitch and <laughs> <laughs> well because because he kind of just looks like a dude, right? Like, yeah, he, he's got that kind of like beer league softball player kind of feel to him, like. Like, he's just going to be like, he's going to, like, bro you to three strikes. Like, he's just, he's kind of got that that feel to him. Um, and so, I think, you know, having been and being a Yankee fan myself, I definitely, you know, I can have a sense of the guys who people are going to connect with more. And, you know, I may feel similarly about certain performances and such. Um, so, like, I'm not, I'm not doing anything that would actually give me real-time observations in that moment like because i don't go on with very 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 few exceptions i don't go on social media during a broadcast um so i wouldn't know from that regard but yeah i think you kind of got a sense of like that dude was standing on the mound like nah i got this you know and fans always like the dude who just kind of takes ownership of something who just looks like a man and is like yeah i'm gonna own this situation right here like enjoy and so I think I got that sense for sure. Yeah, I love reading the lips. Uh, anyone that follows me on Twitter knows that. And there was one time he struck out a guy with a fastball right down the middle, and he turned around and looked at Didi and said, right down the middle, got him. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> doesn't get better than that. I love that, man. I love that. I love when you catch uh, 
what CeCe's mouth and when he's coming off the mound, like just spewing aimless that he would call totally aimless. He's like, I have no idea what I'm saying. I love when you break it down and you can interpret what he's yelling about or who he's yelling at. It's hilarious. Well, it's funny because everyone like like CeCe will drops uh, what a weak-ass motherfucker. That's what he likes saying yeah. after he gets on. And I, I, tweet, <laughs> I tweet it out because it's hilarious. And then people try to find like who he's mad at, what he's yelling about, and I'm like, Cece's not mad at Boone. He's not. He just yells. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. No, that's what it is, man. Like he's he is literally yelling aimlessly. Like that's it. He and he, he'll always be like, yeah, I don't even know what I was talking about. Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what. Like, I mean, there may be a time or two where he says something pointed to an umpire, like in that Chicago series, um, where he. He should have been a strike him out, throw him out, double play. There was like a three-two pitch right down the middle of the ump called the ball. Um, I think it was like in the fifth, like first and second, nobody out. He got out of it, but like if he's like looking like okay for real, you know. But for the most part, like when he's like in those heated moments, like after somebody tries to bunt on him, or you know he gets a big strikeout to end an inning, or he gets taken out of a game, he's just kind of like cursing randomly with no intent or target. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Do you do you get a kick out of? how much he outwardly doesn't like when teams bunt on him and then how often teams are bunt on him. Yeah, I do. I find it funny. And even if you listen to the Todd Frazier episode of R2C2, you could see like he got, he gets a kick out of it too. And like his teammates love like ragging on CC about it. And I think it's because he like, he's so different in the height of competition versus how he is just chilling as a guy. So, like, it's fun to bring that stuff back and be like, hey, you okay, man? You know, like, <laughs> because he, cause he does, he gets, he goes so nuts when they try and, uh, when they try and bunt on him. It's hilarious. I hope he never changes. <laughs> yeah, that, that Todd Frazier episode was awesome. I, I was losing it a couple down with thumbs down guy and all that stuff. Todd, Todd that, that whole episode was incredible. Um, right. I kind of want to ask you a little bit because you, you are the fan. You're kind of in a unique position there. We're, it's kind of been weird vibes this season a little bit because it's been a great season. We're the second-best team in baseball. We've been killing it. But because of that one team ahead of us, that shall not, he who else shall not be named, um, it, it just feels like there's a lot of mixed emotion. There's these low points, but we're still doing really well. Where, where have you kind of been on the fan spectrum during, during all of it? I've been the dude who's trying to breathe reason and life into this situation um, because – I have to say, like, I, you might even see, like, I tweeted out something the other day after they, I don't know what, they lost one game in Miami and everybody, you know, after they had won four straight, mind you, and everybody wanted to deem the season completely over. And it's like, I think sometimes, you know, and this isn't just exclusive to baseball, but we allow how much we care to determine, you know, whether or not we allow our brains to work. And it's like, you know, it's baseball. It's not, it's not you know, football where you shouldn't lose a game to the Browns, right? Like, it happens. You lose games to teams you're better than. That's why awful teams still win 60 games because they beat somebody, right? Like, I mean, it happens. And the way I've looked at it this entire time was the Yankees are having an absolutely tremendous season. All you'd have to do is overlay what they've done so far this year with what they did in 09 and compare where they were in the standings then to what they are this year. Like, if there was no Red Sox, we'd be talking about how incredibly resilient this team is that they could get, you know, the subpar production and then lose Gary Sanchez for two months. So we would have said was their best hitter coming into the season. 
lose their no questions asked best player for at least a month in Judge. Also now be down Didi and Chapman have gone without Tanaka for a month. And oh, by the way, there's still 36 games over 500 and on pace for over 100 wins. What? You know, and, and so I think some of it is the the snapshot um, uh, just reactions that happen in the, in the instant gratification of social media era where people go nuts. And some of it is the irrationality of fans, which is part of what drives the passion. And I do understand that. But my take this entire time has been like, keep surviving until you get your guys healthy and just be healthy going into the playoffs. Because I still believe if our team is completely healthy, the New York Yankees have as good a chance to win the World Series as anyone, Boston included. Um, so it honestly, it, it bothers me when people like treat each loss as if it's a Greek tragedy because like, where is your joy then in, in the season? Like, uh, what are you expecting from this team? And it, it, it's just like, is that, does that mean if they win the World Series, you're not going to celebrate it because just ho-hum, that's what they're supposed to do? Like, you got to still find joy in the journey and a little perspective even as you, you know, become fully immersed in each pitch. And so I think they're having an incredible year, and anyone who's sour on what they're doing needs a little perspective check, I think. Uh, we totally agree. But we, we, we will let our fanhood get into us and – there's certain things where uh, decisions and in-game decisions and there is a sense, and Boone even said it in his opening press conference, that uh, we're not going to be chasing wins every day. He said that day one when he got the job as manager, and to his credit, he stayed true to that. They, they value rest. They value some things over winning every single day. So I do understand where it gets frustrating like in the moment sometimes, uh, but on the, on the grand scheme of things, it's been like a, a fantastic season. Right, and that's the difference, man. It's like the difference between the micro and the macro, right? Like, I'm the same way. Like, it's totally reasonable and part of being a fan to say, like, you know, wait a second, why is this guy still pitching here? Or why didn't he bring in this guy? Or, you know, whatever. And and first gets those things and have issues with them. That's part of it, right? And that should happen. But to then turn it into, like, this team has no life, this is pathetic, the manager needs to be fired. It's like, wait, hold, hold on a second. Like, nah, he just kind of messed up that moment, you know? Or like, no, they just had a bad game. Or, oh, by the way, like, I love when people just try and, like, write off the fact of, like, who they're missing. Like, when they're going through a little bit of an offensive lull, and it's like, oh, they can't hit it all. And I'm like, well, you know, it's harder to hit when your two, four, and six hitters aren't in the lineup. You yeah. know, like, you're, you're, you're not going to score runs every game. You're just not. It's not an excuse. It's a reason. You know, there's a reason why you're as good as you are with those players. If you were the same exact team without them, everybody would be at the same ability level. So, like, you know, I know that rationale isn't always the drink of choice for a rabid fan, and I get that, and I've been there myself, you know. But I, I think it's important to separate the micro from the macro and not let micro frustrations, which you could be totally right about, end up spilling into macro judgments. Yep. That's back. So that's like what, what we try to preach. Like you can be upset uh, in the here and now quickly, but you better be able to get over it and not blow it up. Some people like to blow up things into, into the world's ending. Well, and you know what? Just let, let's take one specific player and example of, right? Let's take Dellen DeFantis. Now Dellen DeFantis had been 
a four-time All-Star with arguably the nastiest stuff in all of baseball. And last year, at the end of the year, you couldn't even pitch him, you know, because he was so off. Imagine, imagine trading him at that moment for 20 cents on the dollar and not having this dude at your disposal right now who's having his best season ever, which is saying a lot considering what the start of his relieving career has been like. You know, sometimes it just requires a little breath, a little patience, and understanding that, you know, the production is not always linear. Um, and and that's not to, like, create a laissez-faire, like, attitude. And I understand sometimes, like, hey, we're the Yankees. We don't accept being behind Boston. Like, yeah, I get it. I totally get it. But, like, don't let what they're doing, being on a historic pace, take away from the reality of what you're doing. Like, it, it, it's, it's possible to have that perspective and still care just as much. Yeah, and it, it was pretty wild. We, we were doing uh, the series recap for the Orioles series, which was a fun one. But I was digging through some of the stats, and it was funny seeing, if you look at Lance Lynn and Sonny Gray's stats side by side this year, they're not much different, but it's where you're at in the season and kind of how the story gets told. And I mean, you could, I mean, you can kind of echo similar things with Andujar and Glaber where they're at right now. But it's, yeah, when the macro and micro level, like you said, if you get lost in it, I mean, you're you're gone. It's it's important to have those perspectives, you know. And yes, with in the case of Sunny, like, look, I also think like I get doing something about these things, right? Like, you can't you can't ignore huge sample sizes, you know, forever, right? Like. And, and you shouldn't just say, no, this is our guys. We're not doing anything about it. You still need to go win games. That's why you do yank a Sonny Gray from the rotation. And that's why you do, you know, yank Greg Bird from the starting lineup. And both of those moves have helped the Yankees win games. But it also means that it's possible that at some point Sonny Gray comes back and is a dominant starter again. And at some point Greg Bird comes back and looks like the hitter that we thought he could be. You know, these narratives are never finalized. Yes. And I think sometimes we forget that. Yeah, nothing set in stone. I want to I want to change pace a little bit because I have a question for you that I saw on your Insta story, which I love how you peel back the curtain on your stories with preparation and all that. But Thanks, man. Your pregame notes were some of the more bizarre thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I that cannot be how they taught you to take pregame notes at Fordham. I mean, you you for anyone that didn't see, it's a yellow Manila uh, notepad or envelope that you just yeah. write on no paper. You write on the envelope. Yes. And or the honestly, folder. That, that is how I was taught. Really? Um, yeah. So in my apartment, um, I have just like thousands of manila folders that have been used in all different sports over the last, you know, however many years. Um, and I try and empty them out because after all, it's New York City. I don't have that much space. But um, I... Basically, you have the manila folder because you want something more substantial weight-wise that you can, you know, hold on to um, and uh, and can write on but has some, you know, that, that's not going to float away in the wind. Uh, and so um, so it's like a, a place where you can sort of have all your, your nuggets and notes in one spot and you don't have to worry about, like, it being flimsy. Um and you can carry it with you and whatever. Now, I will say this. In basketball, most people have that sort of system. In baseball, almost no one uses manila folders. <laughs> but for me, like, my scorebook is not – it's not 
um, it doesn't have enough space for me to fit all the different like little nuggets and stories that I want to have on there. So I kind of just keep my other sports system for baseball, and I have a scorebook, and then I have that that folder, and I have a different folder for each day, which has like the starting the two starting pitchers, different specific stats um, and nuggets uh, from like our amazing research department at Yes, and different things I may have found myself, and then quotes from stories, and then different um, things based on conversations I have in the clubhouse, which is a huge part of the preparation for me when I'm doing a game. It's just like, you know, the conversations I have with different people in the Yankee clubhouse. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just like a curious person and inquisitive. Yeah. So like that is, it's cool that that's how it is. Not paper. I get that now, but I mean, it, <laughs> it looks like when I would go to class and just write song lyrics and doodle all day, yeah. I was like, man, oh, no, no. bro, it, it totally does, man. And, and look, it's like, you can't really understand it unless you're me, right? It's like imperceptible chicken scratch, <laughs> but it just happens to be the chicken scratch that I can read. I'd love to see if, if they, if yes, gave Paul O'Neill a folder and said, write some notes on it. What, what he would show up with. Well, I'm sure that folder would still be very useful when he was done with it. That's what I would say. <laughs> <laughs> we love, we love uh, O'Neill in the booth. He cracks us up. He just He's has a funny guy, man. He's just a naturally funny guy, you know? Um, and he, what's cool, good about him too is like he has the ability to like bring up things that other people would tiptoe around, and he just knows how to not make it awkward, you know. Um, and he's it's just because he's got like this very genuine charm to him, um, so he he cracks me up too. Nine the ninety eight reunion, there was uh, that was a pretty loose booth with Coney like, hanging out with Wells beforehand. They uh, and then I don't know if you saw when Pettit was in. They made a joke about yeah, some of us haven't weathered that well, and uh, yes. oh cra- my gosh, yeah, cracking oh, up. But yeah. no, it's great. You were you were at the stadium for that event, right? I was, I was. So is any anything uh, anything stand out to you reunion wise? Um, relationships still around or anything odd or any tidbit that uh, maybe we as a viewer didn't get to catch on TV. You know, I don't know if there was um, if there was that. I think one thing that stands out to me about that '98 team is, uh, and, and David pointed this out. Um, me and him did a little pregame thing, and I think it's so right. He's always told me this through the years. It's just like the the depth of that team is incredible. Like you look at the the numbers that like Strawberry put coming off the bench. You know, like in and what they were able to do, and that's part of what, you know, made them so terrific. Like, they were just 1 through 25, so deep. Um, and, you know, I did like seeing, like, even, I guess one, one thing that was interesting for me is, like, talking with Mo and Jorge specifically, you know, guys who obviously have won, and, and Andy, but I, I got a little more time with Mo and Jorge that day, guys who have won, obviously, multiple championships, to see the way they still sort of um, individualize that particular team, that particular year, um, and hearing them talk about how angry people were in the clubhouse after every single loss, like, that was interesting to me because that is unique. Um, and, I, I, you know, I was, we were talking earlier about how a lot of times, like, whether they won or lost can be imperceptible, uh, you know, based on post-game reactions. Um, but like, I love that that team 
with as much winning as they did, like had an even harder time accepting any losses. And they've all kind of were thinking back on that post-game attitude. And I thought that was cool. Yeah. Jorge cracks me up because he was, he's the season. Has he been on R2C2 an early episode or no, we haven't had him yet. We were going to actually do it. He wanted to do it um, that day, and we were going to do him. And the timing uh, didn't work out because all of a sudden he wasn't going to be getting to the stadium until 1130, and, and so we weren't able to. Uh, but uh, but we'll, we'll, we're going to get him on at some point. My favorite image of Jorge is in 2009 when they were making the run. And I think it was probably the after the DS versus the Twins, everyone's in the clubhouse celebrating, champagne everywhere, Phil Coke's going crazy. And in the background of the Yes broadcast, you see Posada walk behind with a towel around his waist, his sandals on, and heading to the shower, just business as usual. <laughs> right? Like, for some of those guys, you know, they, they it, what was what's so interesting when you think back on that team is how – similarly their stars were wired you know like if you think about Jeter and Pete and Posada and Mo like they all wired the same way like super about their business you know they're they're these fierce competitors they're not going to be kind of like um you know buddy buddy jokey with the media or whatever like that's just not who they were you know and for that group it really works um but it's interesting because they all were the same way. Like those four guys all had the same exact build when it came to that stuff. Yeah, and I, I was telling Jimmy, I was blown away. It was the first time I'd seen Joe Torre like talking in the booth and hanging out in a while, and he's someone that like invokes feelings. Like, I don't normally have for a person. Like, if I'm around Joe Torre, like, I don't think I could look him in the eye. I think it'd just be like, yes, sir, thank you, sir. Like, and I, I don't know, just seeing him, at, have you gotten to interact with him a lot, or, or did you get to see him a lot that day or anything? Joe, I've interacted with him just a little bit, um, but I feel the same way. He almost feels like, you know, the grandpa I never met, if you will. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's like there's just like this, I think for all, how old are you guys? 29 all right and i'm 31 so i think for all of us who are around this age like there's just this inherent reverence for joe and everything he did and and i think it's also the way he handled himself right because like he was always the dude who said the right thing did the right thing could weather the storm could make you feel like the sky wasn't falling even if it was like he's just he, he's that guy so i think for us we always have that same sort of feeling when we when we see him yeah and also the fact that jeter was everyone my age biggest role model and you know jeter would call him mr tory all the time and it's like okay well i exactly. guess i'm calling him mr tory too <laughs> exactly 100 percent. yeah all right well thank you very much for joining us man i want to take up too much of your time hey guys anytime you know i love your work i get a kick out of it there's nothing like watching the live uh, reaction videos to big moments in games. I, I crack up at it. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, I look forward to doing it again as long as you guys will keep letting me eat out of your cabinets. Yeah, of course. Of course. Uh, all right, guys. Be well. Thank you, you too. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. 
All right. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. Everyone go tweet at Ryan and tell him, hey, man, loved you on uh, Talking Yanks because he is so kind and nice to find time in his schedule to do that with us. I mean, dude, we're, dude announces like a different sports game every night. He's a busy guy. Yeah. And uh, pretty well. Yeah. It's, uh, he couldn't be more generous. So go tell him that you enjoyed hearing the conversation and uh, rate, subscribe, review. We'll be back with another episode soon. Thank you. Go Yanks, Tom Grandma. Go Yankees. <laughs>